continuing our series in the book of Proverbs. So it's a little different tonight. Uh, number one, for those of you who forgot, Lindsay and Miss Rachel still do attend church. Um, they, uh, on Sunday morning, they're doing a great job working in the back with the kids. And then on yeah. Wednesday night, they do a great job during the winter months. Um, working in the patch program and so we are we are thankful we have a summer break number one because patch and peewee workers need it mm-hmm. here's the second thing just to remind you of this it's not bad for your kids to have to sit through a wednesday night service it's actually good for them and so don't don't have the <clears throat> don't have the perspective of well man i i don't know if they can handle it they'll be okay like what are they going to get out of it i don't know but just don't underestimate what your children can catch and, and how god can speak to them um but before i get to the text man sunday was a great day and I praise the lord for that i'm not sorry for this i really enjoyed picnicking on sunday afternoon and that was great and the desire to do that more often is only increased every time we do that and I'm not even going to pretend that all those reasons are spiritual. I'm just saying, go into a park after Sunday morning and having church with a bunch of blow-up jumpers is wonderful. <laughs> and I'd like to preach from one of those trampolines sometime. I mean, that was just, it was a great day. And I don't know if you noticed this, but we had so many guests attend that service. And just, just so thankful for it. And then tonight, uh, for everyone watching online, it's great to have you with us. And for our guests that are here, thanks so much for being here. Whether it's a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night or anything else, it's an honor to have guests with us. And we appreciate you being here. And uh, then just a, a couple of things. Uh, great to see Brother Andy and Christina have been dealing with their loss. And uh, continue to pray for them. But we're thankful mm-hmm. uh, for them. And then the Ramirez is, man, they've been going through it. And uh, apparently Miss Crispella, I mean, just beat up Brother Pablo. And it was just, man, fiery. It's rough. But I think she got him whipped back into shape. No, I'm kidding. Mm. Totally kidding. Like, kidding about that. It's been going through it. You know how that can be sometimes, sickness and stuff. So we're thankful they're well and uh, that they are back. And we're glad to be at church. All right. So verse number 13 is where we were, where we are at. In the book of Proverbs 22:30-13, the slothful man saith, "There is a lion without; I shall be slain in the street." The slothful man saith, "There is a lion without; I shall be slain in the street." All right. So my first title with this. Don't put this on Brother Patrick because I got I got convicted, but I still want to tell you. Um, we can't call it this, but I'm going to tell you it's lions and losers. Amen. But instead, we'll do this: lions and the lazy. I think that'll be a little more appropriate. So, lions and the lazy, or whatever it is that will help you tonight. You may be seated. Thanks so much for standing to honor God's word. The slothful man saith, there is a lion without, I shall be slain in the streets. The word slothful has different words to define it, and you have to look up those definitions as well, but lazy, indolent. I I like this statement. It means to not easily be aroused to activity. Not easily aroused to activity. This is an interesting thing. 
as I have, I have teen girls, and now as I have boys that are becoming teenagers, I am amazed at the different things that motivate and do not motivate my sons to get out of bed. And it's not just true of sons. It can also be true of daughters. I, under, I understand that. But if uh, I tell my sons, hey, if you'll get up at 6 a.m., I'll let you play video games all day. I'm not even going to have to try. Yeah, hey, right. If you'll be up at 6, then somebody's going to take me fishing. If you'll be up at 6, then we're going to go hit the mountain bike trail. If you'll be up at 6, then you can eat candy for the entire week. You can eat all of those mint new discovery Takis. Amazing. You can have all the Takis you want. That man, those are, don't be hating on Takis, man. I like them. You promise, you promise my teenage sons, you promise them Takis and video games. If you're up at 6 a.m., there will be no trouble getting them out of bed. Yeah, that's about right. In fact, they'll probably spend the night in prayer. Just so they don't <laughs> right? miss it. He told them, hey, I need you to be up at 6 a.m. to help your mom do the laundry. That's your fault. Mm. Mm. Or I need you to be up at 6 a.m. to make sure the grass gets mowed. Mm. I need you to be up at 6 a.m. because so-and-so has a job and they need help with it. And I'm not going, so I'm making you go as an extension of my ministry here. Um, <laughs> whatever it is, it, it, sometimes it can be challenging. And I know you've experienced it. You go in and you wake them up. And then you go back in and you wake them up. And then you go back in and you wake them up. How many of you have been there as parents? Yeah. <laughs> I want to call names right now, but I see other <coughs> people looking at other people. <laughs> yeah, and uh, people are making eye contact out of the glance, out of their periphery right there. So I won't do that. But you understand what it is to find it difficult to arouse someone to activity. Before we get to the text, just consider a couple of things about hard work. Number one, it, it's a gift of God, and sometimes we associate working diligently or applying ourselves to labor with the curse of sin. But actually, labor and diligence was before the curse of sin ever came along, and God put Adam and Eve in the garden, and he told Adam, you're commanded to bless this and to keep it. You are to apply yourself to labor. God intends for his people to diligently apply themselves to worthy causes, and that, that's not, that working hard is not something that is a result of sin's curse. It's, it's a part of the character of God. The, the curse of sin's effect upon it is the difficulty of that labor and the opposition that we find in doing that labor. And our bodies hurt and things don't go well and things break. And if you've ever worked hard on something or planned out a project, you know this to be true. No matter how much I plan, something is going to go wrong that I didn't anticipate or it potentially, it potentially can. And so hard work is a gift from God. But second of all, hard work is commanded. In Romans 12, verse number 11, I won't give you the whole verse, but it says this, not slothful in business. And then it ends the verse with this statement, serving the Lord. You know, Proverbs has a lot to say about not being slothful, not being lazy. But that's not just an Old Testament principle. That's not just something that King Solomon spoke about or wrote about. 
It's throughout Scripture, Old and New Testament, that God doesn't want his children being lazy. He wants them to be diligent. In 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 10, Paul the Apostle was very frank when he said this, If any man work, neither, if any man work not, neither should he eat. I've, I've told you this before. Again, keeping in mind, don't, I understand there are exceptions uh, to just to a lot of different scenarios scenarios in life. But there was a man who had been in a motorcycle accident, and he was on assistance for a long period of time as he recovered <coughs> from that injury. It was a, a traumatic, significant injury, but by the grace of God, he began to recover, and he was going to make a complete recovery. And so I, I asked him as he was nearing the end of his recovery, so uh, what is your plan to get back into the workforce? And he said, well, I'm not going back to work. And I said, well, why not? Well, if I go back to work, then I'm going to lose my assistance. And, and I didn't say this spitefully or with any kind of animosity. I didn't yell at him. I just said, listen, if, if you're going to be right with God, then you need to go out and get a job. And I understand you might be limited on that. And again, I understand there are exceptions in extreme cases. But if you are going to be right with God, you have a responsibility to work. He never came back to church after that, but that doesn't change the truth of that. <laughs> right. God commands us to work. And just because we live in a culture that is increasingly enabling and encouraging dependency does not mean that that honors God. It does not mean that it's okay with God. First Timothy 5, 8 says this, but if any provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house, this is what the Bible says. He's worse than an infidel. Someone that completely rejects God. You can name the name of Christ all you want, but if you're not willing to work hard to provide, then God says that you are as though you don't even know me. Because that's not, a, that's not an accurate representation of who I am as a loving father who provides for his children. And as a Christian, regardless of your career or title or occupation, you ought to be about providing for your family. I'm just going to go ahead and say this. I praise the Lord for a dad who through his entire ministry life has been bivocational. Mm. And through <clears throat> so close to 40 years of ministry, has almost that entire time had to have other jobs in order to provide for his family. There is no sympathy needed because he's simply doing what God commanded him to do the right thing to do but not only that not only is hard work a gift not only is it a command but hard work builds hard work builds your character and hard work builds your appreciation it's just a parenting tip here if your children are always given everything then they're not going to have an appreciation for the things that they've received and they'll develop a sense of entitlement even in your home it is your responsibility to provide for your children. It is not your responsibility to give them everything they want every time they want it. Providing for them and enabling that kind of expectation are not the same thing. In fact, those are competing directions there that are not helpful to one another. I love this today. I had to, I had to stop in at the house unexpectedly. And, and so I go in, and Jaron, who is five, is whining uh, about the difficulty of his job cleaning out the Suburban. <laughs> and I loved Andrea's response. If you want to get paid 
real money to do a big person job, you have to do it right. Okay. <laughs> he was getting paid five bucks. I wouldn't clean out that suburban for five bucks. <coughs> That's why we had so many kids. <laughs> you don't you don't just get handed things. It, it builds character. And, and that and that doesn't start when you're 18. That needs to start when they are young, learning how to do that so that they have an appreciation for those things. And it's amazing how hard work builds a family and how you're how you're able to provide for and to care for. Listen, the, the primary goal of being a child of God is, is not the material possessions that we get from him. We reject any kind of notion of a prosperity gospel, but we do believe that you reap what you sow. And we believe that when you, you labor as you should, that to varying degrees according to his wisdom, he will bless those who are obedient to him. And it is a wonderful blessing to enjoy his favor, because we are being obedient to him. It's great to be able to share those things with our family. And then I'm amazed at how hard work builds a community. And you just think about how so many different labors are connected within our culture. In the restaurant industry, the gas station industry, and the medical industry in sales and in all sorts of other things if you begin to study that out you see that these are these are all connected and when people are working hard it's not just a benefit to them but it's a benefit to everyone else that surround them working hard isn't just good for the individual or the family it's good for your entire community working hard builds we give you some quotes about this uh, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard Thomas Edison, who was, who was renowned for his work ethic, said this, there is no substitute for hard work. I mean, Thomas Edison was just smart and lucky. Actually, the, the primary reason he was so successful and has a reputation for developing the things that he did is because of his, uh, his unrelenting or his relentless work ethic. Mm -hmm. He failed more often than he succeeded, but he just would not quit. And he kept pushing himself. Gordon B. Hinckley said this without hard work, nothing grows but weeds. Yeah. You throw the seeds out, but you better work hard at maintaining them. As we get to the text, you need to understand that this is not primarily an external battle. Now, the focus of the slothful man was on what was in the streets. We're going to find out that his view was really being used to mask something that was internal. Working hard or refusing to work hard isn't primarily an external battle. And so let me make sure we're all on the same page. You hear today, um, or if you've ever had conversation with people, say sometimes they say something like this, I just can't find a job anywhere. In our culture, in most places, again, again, I'm not, I'm not saying there's never an exception. If people aren't working and, and everything else like health and all of that is in place, it may not be the job you want. There's a job available. I'm not saying it's the ideal job, but there's, there's work out. And so when you talk to someone who's 
who, who says something like this, you know, man, I just, I just can't find a job. Well, how many applications have you put out in the last three weeks? Well, I, you know, I, I started to do one. You know what I'm saying? We're not, we're not primarily talking about uh, a, a lack of opportunity or an external battle here. We're talking about an internal battle. So here's what he said. I'm going to die because there's a lion out. Now, in the Old Testament times, lions are frequently mentioned in the Old Testament, and they were outside of cities. It wasn't uncommon to find one in the wilderness areas or in villages, and, and even in certain um, more inhabited areas, as I mentioned, a village, you, you could spot them occasionally. But please note this, they were not common in the streets of developed <coughs> cities that were fortified or that were bustling mm. with soldiers or merchants or administrators or citizens. Now, not to say that there was never an exception to that. It just wasn't common to wake up on one of those bright May mornings in that, that area and go, man, there's a lion outside. <laughs> that was not typical. Not typical today. Okay, it... Can tigers escape from zoos? Yeah. In case you didn't know, they have recently. I mean, I read about two or three that happened in China. And then there was even one in Houston. May the 9th. I don't remember the name of the individual, but they look out and they're like, there's a tiger in my yard. <laughs> Why is there a in Houston? I guess they like those coastal cities. <laughs> I don't even know what that's supposed to mean. Sorry. Why is there a tiger in my yard? No, I, I'm not saying that it never occurs. Just that's not that's not something that is going to be typical. And because it's not something to be typically concerned about, if in the rare occasion that it does happen, you make adjustments. <coughs> but that that is not something. That you rearrange your life around. And so because of this, he was saying that there's a possibility that there's a lion in the street. I'm just not going outside. Here's what one commentator said about him. He's afraid of being slain without when he willingly gives himself up to be slain within. Hmm. Or this statement, fancied dangers frighten him from real and present duty. See, the possibility, the very rare, like the 0.0001% chance that in, a, in an extremely populated area, a lion is going to show up in the streets where this setting would be had at, that is enough to dissuade him from going out and doing what he knows is his responsibility to do. It's not an ignorance that he's making this use. Excuse him. Furthermore, he is not being aware of the greater danger. It's not that you're going to be eaten. It's that you are you are allowing yourself to be become a victim of your own deceitful and wicked heart to not be obedient to God. And so this is what he does. He exaggerates the danger. Being honest, there are things you don't want to do. I, I love this about my kids. They feel bad, take a nap, get up, get a snack, go play, 
And then this statement is made to Andrea. I feel better, but I still don't want to go to church. Be honest. What do you do? Make them come to church. I don't punish my kids for feelings that I have sometimes. <laughs> Tell them to do the right thing, even when they don't feel like it. So the, it it's not a... It, it, we have to be honest. There are just some things you don't want to do. The problem isn't that you struggle to always want to do the things that you should. But when we are constantly not dealing with our attitude or consistently not dealing with our attitude, eventually we work at finding reasons rather than to motivate ourselves, we find reasons to not do the things we know that we ought to. And here in the case of this individual in verse 13, to the point of exaggerating the danger of what is actually going on. And at the same time that he's exaggerating the danger of a lion being in the street, he's neglecting serious responsibility. The responsibility to work. The responsibility to develop himself. The responsibility to provide for his family. The responsibility to make good use of the resources and opportunities that God has provided. The responsibility to uh, contribute to a strong and a thriving community. He is neglecting those responsibilities. And so in order to justify neglecting what is right, he exaggerates the risk. All right, so here's the statement. In order to justify doing what's right, he exaggerates the risk of doing what's right. I don't... I, I really don't want to go to work today. Man, I read this article that over in Houston, a tiger got loose. And I know here in Jerusalem, I mean, we got the wall and stuff, but man, there, there could be a lion. I know some of those guards on the south side, they take naps. <clears throat> and someone could have gotten in. There is a chance. It, it's, honey, it's just not worth my life. Babe, would you rather have me or groceries. <laughs> you ask it that way. Groceries. Yeah. <laughs> he exaggerates risk in order to justify not doing what is right. Alright, so let's consider ourselves for a moment. We look for reasons to justify not doing what we know we should. We're not talking about situations where we don't have biblical clarity or the work of the Holy Spirit. God has given us what we need to know what is right to do. God has given us the tools in his word and in his spirit and in people to invest in us and help us. God has given us what is necessary in order for us to know what is right to do. That doesn't mean we always enjoy it, but many times for children of God, when there is a struggle to do right or there is an intentional neglect to do right, it is not because of ignorance. We got to be honest about this if we're going to be helped by this. Many times our unwillingness to do right is simply because we just don't want to do it. Full transparency. Mm. I don't always do right because I want to do it. And there are many times when knowing what is right in my marriage, knowing what is right in parenting, 
knowing what is right in pastoring, knowing what is right in with my neighbors, knowing what is right with my habits, knowing what is right with my self-discipline. It's not as though I want to do all of those things, but I cannot plead ignorance about them. Kids can say, well, my homework or my teacher, no, you just didn't want to do it. Mm -hmm. Teams can say, well, practice or my coach, no, didn't want to do it. Whether it's a church or an issue like forgiveness or disciplining <laughs> ourselves or witnessing or having a, some kind of biblical conviction, it's not an issue of ignorance. We just have to be honest. There are things we just don't want to do. Let me be a little more specific. As a church, we are living in, a, in an environment in America where it is increasingly easier to lower certain standards and more socially acceptable, and there is increasing pressure to make changes, not because it's necessarily biblical, but because it would accommodate in a, a culture that is increasingly moving away from God. Now, I've, I've said and preached and taught a lot about the issue of, of conviction, standards, lines, whatever you want to call them. And, and so I'm not getting into all of that tonight. Understand that any line that you draw, it, standards are not spirituality. Okay, please say amen to that. Yeah. You can have standards like the Pharisees and be as far as God as, as humanly possible. A standard doesn't make you spiritual. But if you're going to be like Jesus, then there are certain lines you need to draw about a wide variety of issues. And we live in an environment that is increasingly saying, lower the standards. And then you even see the, the increase of what are called mega churches or these large, extremely large congregations who uh, they, they obviously, in many observable ways, have very little line or biblical conviction about them. You say, man, we just, we can't grow as a church if we have any kind of a biblical approach or biblical conviction. Well, I'm just thankful that here, we've been, <coughs> we've been in the, what we've heard from our guests tonight, what we're hearing from the Hutchins, you don't have to compromise who Jesus Christ is and what he teaches in order to reach people. A lot of it has to do with this, how you have those convictions and why you have them. So many people have them, have different convictions with the wrong attitude, or they have them for the wrong reasons. And when you do that that way, then you are going to turn people off to the work of God and to the gospel. And sometimes it has to do with drawing lines that the Bible does not draw. I can go ahead and jump on that too. But there are churches, there are pastors, and, and sometimes you might even feel this, you know, if pastor would just loosen up a little bit in this area, then, then we might see more people come in. And, but you've got to ask yourself, why are you thinking that way? And part of it is we are motivated not by confidence in the Word and the Spirit of God, but we're motivated by the fear of what could happen. So I just I don't want to do what's right because of the risk. How about this? If I discipline my children, they won't like me. Well, again, it's a matter of how you do it and why you do it. God never commands you to discipline your children in any way. But he does command you to discipline them. And the, and the solution 
is not to not discipline. The solution is to get on your knees before God before you ever discipline them and say, God, help me do this with a right heart and a right spirit and to have your wisdom and discernment in it. And they're okay just waiting on the beds for you for a little while before you come in and talk to them and deal with them under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Listen, as a parent, you need the leadership of the Holy Spirit as much as any pastor does in preaching the Word of God. And yet we, we have this terrified attitude. My children just won't like me. And there's all of these risks. I understand there must be discretion. Then like everything they do when I'm 13. So many, so many parents have gotten tunnel vision with their kids. You were afraid of what they were going to do or respond or how they were going to behave when they were a teenager or when they're little. I'm telling you, you want their respect when they're adults more than <coughs> you want them to like you when you're when they're an adolescent. I'm just so busy, I really. Look, I, I know, I know what's going to say, but I, I still need to say this. I, I think I'm just so busy. I really can't be at church. Whether it's a financial reason or a career advancement, what you lose by consistently missing services is far greater than the temporary possession that you get. I did not say never miss it because things come up. Now. Come on, somebody say amen. Yeah. I understand. I'm not. Like, we try to stay out of ditches on both sides of the road. I understand stuff goes on. And it, it's not my job to personally manage your life and your schedule. Come on. Look at me. I'm not thinking. You say you're thinking about. You have no idea what I'm thinking right now. Are you talking to me? I'm talking. If you're listening to this sermon, I'm talking to you. The, the point isn't that, that you never. The point is if there is a habitual tendency. What you what you gain from that tendency is far less than what you lose from that tendency. Mm. Your family will benefit, your children will benefit far greater from being in church than they will from that rage you'll gain. You being in the middle of your company and teaching your children to love the Lord is far more valuable than you advancing and providing a bunch of things that you really never have time to use anyway or invest in your children because you don't have time. How about this? If I witness to them, they will never talk to me. I'm not, I'm not going to give you the details of it, I, but just someone here within our church family today told me a situation at work and just slowly investing the gospel slowly invested in at work and all of a sudden the door just opens up. How many times have we been afraid to talk to somebody because we didn't know what their response would be? Can I remind you of this? A lot of times with witnessing, it's not a matter of witnessing, it's a matter of when we do it and how we do it. And so many times the, the gospel it, the gospel is rejected 
not because of the gospel, but because of the way the gospel is presented. And so many times we take a filet mignon that's wrapped in bacon, and because of our attitude or our approach, we put it on a trash can lid. And it's not the fact that the product isn't good, it's the fact that our presentation of it isn't reflective of the spirit of Jesus Christ. You should never argue with someone over the gospel. If they're willing to have a discussion, have a discussion. But it should never turn into a fight with a child of God. It's okay if people don't agree with you. It's okay if people have different opinions with you. Because you're not the one that they answer to. It's not your responsibility to make anybody believe anything. It's your responsibility to love them and to accurately reflect the truth of who Jesus is on a daily basis. Talk to people. Approach people with boldness, but not with rudeness. I'm going to say this, and I don't... Let me clarify first. I understand that the coronavirus is real. So? Just like I understand car accidents are real. Other sicknesses are real. Yeah. And other problems are real. Again, there are exceptions. But as a culture, we've had to battle this attitude. If I go to church, I'm going to die from this. Completely neglecting the fact that there have been a whole lot of other things that could have happened to you before you ever knew the term of COVID. You saying that's not a real issue? I just said I know it's a real issue. And there's a very specific part of our population that needs to continue to be extremely careful around this. But this is what we are finding. And, and, and I know it wasn't just here, but for a long time, against the brain, here and in other places, we have been sounding the warning that COVID is not the only thing to be concerned about. But people are falling into deep depression and the people are taking their lives at an accelerated rate. Because they are neglecting things that God created us to need. I'm not just talking about church. I'm talking about human relationships. And people having to face end of life scenarios. Not being surrounded by their loved ones. Yep. And so we use, we use these things and we stay home. In order to not let one thing happen. All the while opening the door. You say I don't want this line to get in. But you're opening the door to other lines that you can't see. <clears throat> Again, I know where we're at. If I if I tithe or I give, I'm going to end up in the poorhouse. If I surrender my children, God's going to send them to Africa or Asia, maybe, and it would be awesome if He did. <coughs> if I forgive them, they'll walk all over me. If I confront this, it's going to blow up in my face. So let me give you some thoughts, and then we'll be. Number one, be honest if you have a tendency to exaggerate risk in order to avoid being right. Just be honest. Don't deny it. Don't make excuses for it. Just approach it for what it is. I have a tendency to avoid doing this because of my perceived risk. Number two, you don't know what is going to happen, and you have a God who loves you more than you. You know what I love about my children? I love them. I love them more than they can understand. Yeah, I love it. 
as a kid, I didn't understand how much my dad and mom loved me. Now that I have kids, I am starting to understand. Now that I have my first child getting ready to begin the process of moving home, and starting to understand what my parents went through when their first child started that process. And even from a distance, not understanding how much they loved me and cared for me. And I encourage you that you have a God who loves you more than you can possibly comprehend. See, I don't know what's going to happen, but he does. And what he allows, he will be with you through it. And if you never take the step of faith, you will miss out on the provision that he can make. Number three, even if there, even if there are risks, doing right is still right. Okay, I'm almost done, but please stay with me on this. Let's say there was a lion outside. God didn't say don't go work. God didn't say run out and be eaten by the lion. God didn't say be careless. Again, let me talk about COVID. God never said don't take precautions. God never said if you're going through this treatment, don't adjust yourself in order to do it. If your immune system is weaker, you have these other things going on. Don't protect. God never said don't. God never said be careless. And as a church, we shouldn't have a careless, flippant attitude when people are taking precautions. And we've had this approach. It's up to individuals to do what's right before God. And we will not be the judge of that. We will love people where they're at and to whatever degree they allow us. But just understand that doing right is not determined by the risk. Mm -hmm. We enjoy religious freedom right now. Here's what I'm convinced. We are only, only, barely getting to the beginning of some really challenging and trying times in this nation. And we are going to find out who's really committed. I don't want that. I don't like that. But you look at the trends everywhere. And it's okay to be anything except for a believer in Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about a nasty, confrontational Christianity that's constantly mocking and beating everybody else up. I'm talking about loving Jesus and following him. And there are pastors that are being arrested in Canada by SWAT teams, and these are literally the charges, inciting people to go to church. Mm -hmm. And you historically, you can look there to see what's coming here. Yep. It's been a pattern for decades. We say, well, this is Idaho. I'm just telling you, it's coming. Yeah. And just because it becomes risky, whether it's through health or through prison, doesn't change what right is. Number four, and then this is the last thing. The benefit of fulfilling <clears throat> responsibility far outweighs the risk of danger or loss. Benefit. Far outweighs the risk. I'm not talking about carelessness. I'm not talking about arrogance, but intentional, purposeful effort to do right, even when there is risk, the reward of that is far greater. Generationally. But the destruction of neglecting it is also generational. It's amazing the wisdom that Solomon had that he neglected in living out his own life. And things that he was not inclined to do 
because we didn't want to behave into those appetites and those desires and generationally it created a domino effect. Beware of neglecting responsibilities by exaggerating this. Let's all stand together. As Miss Becca begins to play and Brother Nate begins to sing, God has spoken your heart. You be responsive there, Lord. Thanks for the truth. Thanks for the time. We pray for you to help our hearts to be honest. We all we all battle with this in one way or another. So I pray that you would help it by helping us 